morning. It is good to be here today. Do you feel the same? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. More and more these days, I am so thankful to be able to teach. Whenever you lose the ability to do something, it makes you very much appreciate when you can. And so I'm very excited. I have a question before we start. How many roller coaster lovers do we have in the room? Ah, so I'm not alone. I am a roller coaster lover. Um, our whole family really is. Now, I'll tell you what, I'm not much of a risk taker, but I feel like a roller coaster is a secure risk. It's a way of me being adventurous, but also safe. And since we all love roller coasters so much, we visit theme parks often. About three weeks ago, we went to Wild Adventures with my youngest and two of her friends. And one of her friends, she spends a lot of time with us, and she's very funny. And so we were kind of standing in line, and they were all talking about who is a screamer. And she said, Miss Jody, are you a screamer? To which I replied, I can't scream. And she just smiled because she knew this. And so I got to sit behind her. It was her first ever upside-down roller coaster. So we got in. We got seatbelted in. We took off. We did all the curves. We are coming back in, and she was like, Miss Jody, you're so loud. I like funny people. <laughs> Laughter makes everything more bearable. It makes life so much more enjoyable. Well, I am hoping to be louder this week. I'm going in for surgery tomorrow. They are going to place an implant next to my paralyzed vocal cord. It should make me louder, but also it should make talking take less effort. Because right now, when I exert any amount of energy, it takes me about three to four breaths to a normal breath. And so if everything goes as planned, this should be the very last procedure with my voice. And I, yes, I am very much looking forward to being on the other side of this particular challenge. Whatever it looks like, I'm very, very excited. And I just want to say thank you. Because you didn't know it, but you were a much-needed distraction over the last week. There are a significant number of ways I could be anxious about tomorrow. But instead of just sitting around and giving in to anxiety, I spent time with the people that I love and digging into the scriptures. And I'll tell you what, Jesus in community makes all the difference. All the difference. And telling your mind what to think about is powerful. And I want to thank you for that opportunity. So I'm going to continue teaching out of Colossians. I'm going to teach out of Colossians 2. And I'm really excited about it because Paul addresses many things that he tackled in Colossians 1, which I taught out of for the women's event. And that stirs me for a couple reasons. One, because I've learned that when a wise person of influence repeats themselves, you should pay attention. Because it normally means it's really important. And they've also probably learned the power of repetition, that repetition is indeed the best teacher. And so Paul is very much doing this here. But also the other reason it stirred me is because this is all, most of this, very fresh in my life right now. God has been giving me some hands-on lessons in it, and it is one of the joys of my life to pass on what God has given me. See, the enemy can try to take my voice but I will find a way to teach because it burns in me to do so. Now, I do have to say, as I was digging into this, I very much understand 
past Pastor Chris's challenge in re teaching through a book of the Bible, like it's really hard to make it very far because the Word of God is just so rich and so full and it's multifaceted and sometimes you just have to sit with some scriptures. I feel like I'm covering a lot of material, but we're only going to make it about halfway through today. And so I want to start in Colossians 2, and Paul lays out just right out of the gate his goal for the church at Colossae. And it's my goal for you today, too. He says this, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Isn't that beautiful? I feel like that should be the goal of everyone that stands before God's people, to present the treasures and the richness of the word of God. So I brought this gift with me today because this is what I think about when I think about the Bible. It's a present. Every day we get to unwrap something fresh, and something new. We get to take hold of the gifts that God is offering, and we get to decide every day, are we going to see it that way? Are we going to cherish it? Are we going to take the time to unwrap it? Well, we're going to unwrap some today, but first, I want to pray. Lord God, we just quiet ourselves, and as we do, I ask that you would prepare our minds, our hearts, and our spirits for everything that you have for us. And I pray that our time in the word today would change us. I pray that we would look more like you when we leave here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to skip the next two verses because we're going to pick them up in the second half of my message. And we're going to go right to verse 6 and we're going to read to 7. So then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Well, the teacher in me immediately sees four points that just jump off of the page. And so we're going to go through those four points today. And the first one is live your lives in him. Now that word live, it seems like a very simple word, but it is an action-packed word. This is what it means in the original language, to walk, to make one's way, to progress, to make due use of opportunities. In the Hebrew, it's to regulate one's life, to conduct oneself. It's equivalent to to frequent, to stay in a place, to associate with one, to be one's companion, used as one's followers of the standard according to which one governs his life. Now that word in is a primary preposition denoting position. So the position here is near Jesus. So this live your life, this is not continue living how you did before you were saved. This is the go and sin no more that Jesus spoke to the woman caught him in adultery. See, he saw her, he rescued her, and he spoke to the person that he knew she was. He called her out and he called her up. That's this kind of living. And it's it's not a shame, but a freedom, a freedom that empowers us to be who we really are. See, here's the thing about sin that I think so many people miss, and I think so many people teach incompletely. Yes, God hates sin, but his calling us out of sin is not a disapproval of who we are. He calls us out of sin because when we're living in sin, 
We can never live in who we truly are. We can't live in our true identity. And so, see, to repent is to go turn and go the other way, which means we're going to go the right way, correct? So to sin is to go the wrong way. When we are living in sin, there is no way to wholeheartedly walk toward God and toward sin at the same time. It's just not possible. And we have <clears throat> that's got to be called out. It's got to be called out so that we can turn and go the other way, so that we can hear his voice. Revelation 3, 19 through 20 says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. In our house, we have this back porch. It's one of my favorite places to be. When it's nice outside, we spend a lot of time there, especially in the spring and the summer. But when we're out there, we can't hear the doorbell, let alone when someone knocks on the door. See, Jesus says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. This implies the obvious. There's going to be some that don't hear his voice. Be those that make it the aim of your life to hear his voice. Because there's no greater aim. There is no greater goal. We cannot, at the same time, walk wholeheartedly toward God and toward sin. Now, God, he is so incredibly patient in our transformation. So patient. He takes the time for us to, 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 to get off all of the layers. The Holy Spirit is kind and loving, but there's only one way that leads to life. So living our lives in Jesus is to walk toward him and away from sin. Now, the next point um, builds on the last. Once we have turned and we've gone toward God, we need to focus on being rooted and built up in him. Now, I could have sat here all morning because this is where I camped for the women's event. I'm going to read to you, if you have your Bibles, in John 15. And I'm going to read 5 through 8. It says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Proof of being a disciple is fruit. But here's the thing about roots and fruit. It's just what happens when we're near Jesus. We don't even have to strive to make it happen. It's just the natural result of remaining in him. In the growth cycle of a fruit-bearing plant, the fruit comes at the end. See, the root system has to take up more room underground than the tree does above ground because the foundation has to be strong. Fruit is just a result of deep roots. Now, God develops our root system in many ways, but the most essential is that we dig our roots down deep in the word of God. See, without the Bible, the best that we can do is to create an image of God in our own imagination, our own experiences, and that is no God. The Bible is the only place that we find who God is and in turn who we really are. So I want to give you four things that you need to know about the Bible, and I'm just going to very briefly touch on them. The first one the Bible is truth from Genesis to Revelations. 
In Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. See, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it gives us a fulfillment of the Old Testament, not a deletion. So from, new te- from Old Testament to New, all of those promises stand for your life. They're all powerful for your life. The second thing I want you to know, the Bible is countercultural. It will never be popular, popular by the world's standards, never. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, we all need taught. We all need corrected. We all need trained. And you know what? We all need rebuked from time to time. But the world shrinks away from anything that offends anything that makes it uncomfortable. But the word of God will always make us uncomfortable with ways that are not God's. Always. The third thing, the Bible changes us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See, Looking into the word is like looking into a mirror where we see our true identity. It transforms us into that person, into a person created in the image of the God of the word. The fourth thing I want you to know is that the word of God protects us from deception. See, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us that we are to take captive every thought and make it obedient. If you don't take your thoughts captive, they will take you captive. We have got to be grounded in the word. And and that doesn't mean just having a Bible or having six on the shelf. It means that we read it, that we think about it, and that we do it. I'm going to turn to Matthew 24. Here in Matthew, Jesus is speaking with his disciples. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said. When will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And I'm going to skip down to 10. It says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. We are seeing so much of this happen right now. We're seeing people that once followed Jesus turn away. We're seeing deception uproot people we never thought it would. This is why it's so important that we stay rooted because it's those that endure to the end that will be saved. The second greatest tool that God gave us to grow our roots is community. It's community. See, community is like the the soil and in it is the fertilizer that's full of all the nutrients that we need to grow. And I talk about community a lot because I really do believe it is essential for any um, any runner that plans to finish the race. It's along with the word. It's like this protection from deception. And it's one of those spiritual truths that you can't explain with words, but it proves itself over and over again. Now, this next statement that I'm going to make, I have been weighing it for the last several days. I have sifted it 
through the word. I've held it up to the light, and I still believe it to be true. We will stand before God alone, but we will not get there alone. All of us have someone that told us about Jesus. All of us have had someone that has taught us and encouraged us. The more you dig your roots into that, the more you will grow. And I'll tell you what, guys, I am no different than you. I have my days where I walk away from community, and I feel all the benefits of it. And then there are days I walk away and think, why do I keep trying? Just being honest, because I know we've all been there, but I know this, that God makes sure the soil has everything that I need to grow. Even when it doesn't look the way I want it to look, even when it doesn't look perfect, he still makes sure that it has what I need to grow. Now, sometimes that's going to feel great, and sometimes it's not, but I've learned this. Even when it stinks, manure still works. Now, I have had some great, I mean, really great church experiences, and I've had some not-so-great church experiences. I've had some things happen that would probably shock you, things I don't talk about because there is no glory in the details. But all through all of my experiences, I have fought to stay rooted. Even when I was offended, even when I disagreed, even when I was hurt, and I'm better for it. And, and I know this, that every time, every time, the justice of God came for me. Now, maybe not in the way that I thought it should have, but it came for me. The discernment of the Holy Spirit always led me, and God always got me where I needed to go. He used it to make me better. Now, with that, I do need to say, there is a time to leave a little C church, but make sure you always stay grounded in the big C church. If God releases you from a congregation, quickly find another. It is that essential, that essential. Now, in keeping with our root theme, I've been thinking, and to me, the church is like an orchard full of trees, different types of fruit trees, all planted at different times, all growing at different speeds, same field, same gardener. And I have learned this as I've been doing some research. Different fruit trees, when they grow in close proximity like that, companion planting is what it's called. That's where you have a variety of fruit trees together. It helps with many things. There are many benefits. It helps with pollination. It helps deter pests and attract beneficial insects. It provides shade and moderates extreme temperatures. It improves the soil, and together they produce more fruit. All good things. All good things for literal soil and spiritual soil. See, connection in this process is healthy, but entanglement is not. And I think it's very important to touch on this because so often people think that the bride has hurt them, but really it's entanglement that has hurt them. Entangled roots overshadow, overcrowd, and rot. Healthy trees have the space they need to thrive. Our goal in community is that life-giving connection. We get entangled when we demand, when we condemn, when we compare, when we withhold grace, when we become codependent, when we pass the responsibility, when we overcrowd, or when we fail to respect the uniqueness of what God is doing in each person. Stay connected, but do it with humility. Because pride entangles. Pride is like a tree that takes up way too much 
room above ground. It overshadows. It overbears. Stay connected, but be healthy enough to do so without being entangled. And no, we're all in different places, growing at different speeds, fighting different battles, and overcoming different strongholds. Embrace that. Grow in that. Cultivate your friendships in that. Grow your marriages in that. Raise your children in that so that they won't leave. Teach them how to navigate the easy and the difficult relationships in godly soil. And when it gets hard, don't uproot yourself because you will hurt your root system. Do the things that make your roots go deep. My third point, again, it builds on the last, is strengthened in the faith. This is where we keep doing the things that make our roots go deep even when it's difficult. This is where Christianity leaves the honeymoon phase and enters into the realm where endurance and perseverance are tested. Because strength, because faith, they grow bigger in the testing, right? In the difficulty. And see, I told the women last month at the women's event about Stresswood. So what, what we found is that trees grown inside a self-contained indoor artificial environment, they grow quickly but they soon become weak and have a tendency to fall over. Scientists have found this is due to a lack of wind because wind forms stress wood in a tree. Stress wood makes the roots and the structure stronger. It causes the tree to grow toward the light and away from unhealthy directions. It makes the tree strong and grounded for the storm. Trees without wind do not grow deep roots. Banning Leipzig says, if there's anything I've learned about following Jesus, it's that it means living in over your head all the time. I think that God allows enough constant wind in our lives to keep us growing. And see, God, he's not interested in your comfort. And I have had to sit with that thought. I have had to process that thought. I know it to be true. God is not interested in our comfort He's interested in our growth. But we don't like it when our our faith is tested. We don't like to have to go through the difficulty. But it strengthens us for what's ahead. And I've found that strengthening normally starts with stretching because that's the only way to grow. And so God expands us so that he can enlarge our measure of faith. Alicia Brick Cole says, our futures will be forged more by what we do with pain than what we do with joy. Don't we know it's true? See, difficulty causes the lies and illusions we've held to crumble. As we've served the Lord for some time, what happens is we start to recognize the half-truths and the fragments of truths that we've believed, and they need to crumble. They need to come down because we are really good at devising our own doctrine. We have a way of taking truth and bending it in the direction of our desires, in the direction that alleviates our fears, and the direction that leads to comfort. But those sandcastles of belief need to come down, and nothing washes over them like difficulty. Alicia Cole also says, even though the darkness may seem to hide God, 
through a disillusionment, our God portraits are actually becoming more accurate. In the night, we realize that though personal, God is not pliable. Though a friend, God does not appear. Though loving, God is not confined by our logic. Something less accurate dies, and something more accurate rises in its place. Now, sowing commitment and the soil of difficulty might just be the most powerful spiritual weapon you and I possess. What it does in us, what it does to grow us, is more than a hundred happy days could ever do. It is powerful. Jesus modeled this better than anyone. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. See, this, this is commitment in the difficult. This is perseverance in the pain. This is trust, even in a lack of understanding. I remember a time, I was about 24 years old. We were living in Kentucky, and I had just moved from half-day kindergarten to teaching full-day first grade, so my load had doubled. Chris and I were youth pastors over about 100 students. I was also the nursery coordinator. And at the time, I was also working to, to break some pretty big strongholds off of my life. And we were struggling through marriage. We had both brought a lot of baggage. And so I remember driving down the road one day, and I was having a little bit of a pity party, and at the same time thinking kind of highly of myself. I remember thinking, Lord, I'm about to have a mental breakdown. And then at the same time thinking, I don't think there's anybody else that's carrying a load like I am. I wish I could go back to younger me and have a conversation. And I just know it would start with, like, the southern sweetheart. And it would end with, this is the easiest your life is ever going to be. But at the time, that was the hardest my life had ever been. That was the most that I had ever carried. But then a couple years later, we moved to Alabama, church three times the size. We're carrying a much bigger load. We were youth pastors, much bigger youth group. I was the senior pastor's personal assistant. We're leading worship. Chris was over computer. Our schedule was insane. We'd start at like 7.45 in the morning. Sometimes it'd be later than that in the evening when we went home. Three services on Sunday, one on Saturday night, one on Wednesday morning. And I remember the receptionist that I worked with, probably double my age, she came up to me and she's like, Jody, how do you do it all? But I just knew, I knew it was because God had stretched me in the previous season. See, I was doing it and I wasn't striving this time because not only did God make me more able to balance more out here, but he'd done something inside of me. He'd stretched something inside of me and I had more joy than I did in the previous season. And in, in that vein, moving to Jacksonville with no money and no connections, it made us able to be in a place where we can believe for $600,000 and build a $2 million building. See, this season that we're in right now isn't easy for anyone. You've never been here before. I've never been here before. But I know this. I know this, in my time with the Lord, I've told him, and I've shared this with you many times, Lord, I don't really like anything about this season. I don't really want to be in this season. I don't really want to do tomorrow. But I keep hearing him say over and over, you asked me for more, and this is the way. Because I know that there's something in me that needs to grow in order to be able to hold the more that he would give me. And for some reason, this is the way. 
And I'm here for it because I, I don't just want more of him. I need more of him. I need more of him. And so that's the beautiful exchange that a proven faith brings supernatural strength. And as much as God stretches us to be able to do more out here where everybody can see, he stretches us inside to be able to carry the beautiful gifts that he gives us. Not only will you be able to balance more in the next season because of this one, but you'll be able to do it with a supernatural amount of grace, peace, joy, and freedom. As your capacity grows to carry the stresses of life, so does your capacity to carry the beautiful gifts of God, the gifts that benefit your spirit and your soul. That's the beautiful payoff of a tested faith. Now, there's an addition to that last point that I just want to touch on. It said, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. The phrase, as you were taught, means to hold discourse with others in order to instruct them, to be a teacher, to impart instruction, to instill doctrine into one, to explain or expound a thing. This is another reason you need a church body, because you can't do this by yourself. You need a good dose of Bible teaching on a regular basis. You need it. You need it to stay grounded. I'm going to read to you again 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We need this. We need teachers. We need preachers. We need all of the gifts. And the very meaning of the phrase, as you were taught, eliminates isolation. Can't be done with just one person. Now, I am all for social platforms as an addition. But I don't think this is what Paul was talking about. See, Paul was talking to a people that he had sat with, a people that he had ate with, a people that he had reasoned together with. Because here's the thing that I have learned. Left to ourselves, we cherry pick. We omit what we don't want to lean into, and we ignore difficult subjects. The accountability of community, the proximity of community, and the invasiveness of community keep us sharpened. It keeps us humble. Now, the last point that I had seen there in verses 6 and 7 is overflowing with thankfulness. Right at the center of Christianity is a glimpse into the proper, proper position of a, of a believer. And I'm going to read that to you in Luke. If you want to turn there, it's Luke 22. 19. And he took bread, this is Jesus, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The phrase he gave thanks is Eucharisteo. The essence of the word is thanksgiving, but also grace and joy. Could it be that the deep joy we all desire is only found on the other side of thanksgiving? When we recognize that all God gives is an act of grace and it deserves our thanksgiving, the fruit that springs forth is joy. See, Jesus knew he was about to face the greatest difficulty of his life. And he gave thanks, and he taught his disciples to give thanks. Thanksgiving is evidence of someone who trusts their God. They might not understand, but they trust their God. Ann Voskamp says, prayer without ceasing is really only possible in a life of continual thanks. How did I ever think there was another way to enter into his courts but with thanksgiving? 
Jesus broke bread, and then he gave it to his disciples. Communion will always lead to community. That we become the gift that we've been given. That we become the doers as well as the hearers. Thankful people are joyful people. Thankful people are gracious people. Now, I'm going to transition into the second part of my message and be encouraged it is shorter than the first part. I'm going to go back and I'm going to pick up verse 4, where it says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. Then I'm going to jump forward again back to where we were in Colossians to verse 8 because it expounds on this. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the, ele the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. See, when we face difficulty, we have to process it. It is healthy and right to do so, but we must, must process with God and not away from God. We must process with the scriptures all the more in difficulty. We must process with our church body because he's not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our pain. He will use it. He will use the difficulty to grow us, but we have to process with him. It's within our relationship with him that his love becomes the balm we need. It becomes the hope. It becomes the strength and the way through. Oswald Chambers says it this way, real suffering comes when a man's statement of his belief in God is divorced from his personal relationship to God. See, this is what happens to so many that face difficulty and they process away from God. They process without a church body. They process without the scriptures. They start to reason their faith away. And I just, I just want to tell you, your reason will never be able to fully explain God. If it could, he wouldn't be God, you would and you're not. See, we will all submit to something. As Christians, we submit to God. Other religions submit to little g-gods. Atheists and agnostics, they submit to their own reason. I know this about myself. I am not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not stable enough to submit to myself. My reason cannot hold my world together. In the seasons when God is allowing life to refine our faith, we must keep watch for hollow and deceptive philosophies. Process. Process all the things. Process with the scriptures. Process with your church body. Process with God. But make sure you do it with God. Now, I want to take a side road for just a couple minutes to prep you for my next statements. In order to do so, I'm going to need to give you just a little bit of a history lesson. Any history lovers in the room? Maybe three? Okay, hopefully you'll enjoy this lesson. Okay, some, from the beginning of man until about the 17th century, it was known as a time where people relied on authority and revelation for the main sources of truth. Spiritual leaders, Christian and non-Christians, were considered authorities, and it was assumed that the supernatural existed. Now, it was also known as a time of widespread ignorance, because for the most part, people believed anything they were told. Um, they weren't educated, most of them. Then, about 100 years after the scientific revelation, we got the philosophy of modernism. And all of a sudden, people were thinking for themselves. We got calculating machines. We got the telescope, the microscope. And, and it was great. But 
what happened is people started seeing the supernatural as superstitious. And to, to be fair, there was a lot of nonsense in pre-modernism. And so some of that needed to happen, but it went to extremes. And so with that, we got naturalism. That said, natural causes can explain everything. And then we got skepticism that put an unnatural belief in science and said that if there's anything that I can't prove, then I can't prove anything. And then we got emotionalism that said to follow your heart above all else. Then we got humanism that said the human, the person, is central of all things. And then we got New Age mysticism, which was like a soup of all the religions. Now, those are some oversimplifications of some big subjects. But I say this to tell you that in our postmodern world, we were disenchanted with all of the failings of modernism. And so what we got was moral relativism, which is what happens when you take modernism to its logical end. And we came up with tolerance. Since there's so many worldviews, we're just going to tolerate them all, right? So this bled over into the church and gave us progressive Christianity that questioned and deconstructed all traditional religious beliefs and institutions. Now, a lot needed challenged, but the problem is so much of this was being done outside of the church. And what ended up happening was so many people abandoned doctrine altogether. And so this is where Christianity started to get really muddy and really confusing. Yeah, maybe it got a little more welcoming and a little more social, but also a little less convicting and a little less truthful. And so it had just a little bit of truth, and then some of all these thoughts of modernism, right? Just enough truth to pull people in, but enough deception to lead them down a dead-end road. Now, you can always spot someone who's headed down this road by the way they talk about the Bible. They no longer hold it as supreme or infallible. And I just want to tell you, this is a very dangerous place for the mind of a believer. Because Jesus is either Lord or he's liar or lunatic. You cannot say the things about yourself that Jesus said and not be the son of God and a good man. If he is not the son of God, it all falls apart. We have got to guard for this, because I'll tell you what, most people that start down this path, they end up either atheist or agnostic at best. We have got to guard against this. Now, let, um, some would say that we are in a fourth era of philosophy, that it's a new and more aggressive form of modernism. And in this philosophy, you decide everything, you challenge everything, you question everything. Here's the problem with all the you, you, you. It's not making mankind any better. No better at all. If you look at the statistics, and I read a lot, and a lot of studies, in America, in every race group, in every gender, we are more depressed than we've ever been, and it's not just because we're talking about it more. Not just that, every people group worldwide is struggling with mental health at a level they never have before. We're not any kinder. We're not any less evil, and the average person is not any wealthier. Left to ourselves, to our own reason, we are not better. History has proven this time and time again. But most philosophy, just like most denominations, they start with some very viable and revelatory thoughts. But where religion stops and builds a monument around it, philosophy pushes and pushes until they've gone so far that there's no truth left. Now, I say all this to get back to our place in verse 8, 
Follow any of these schools of thought to their extreme, and you'll see what hollow and deceptive philosophy looks like. This is what happens when you process outside of the church. And the minute you think it could never happen to you is the minute you have begun to believe your first lie. That's one of the reasons we need the church, because none of us are perfectly strong all of the time. We need people all around us, challenging us on every side. And, and I also tell you all of this so that you can start recognizing it. Recognize it in the news and social media and television and music and take those thoughts captive. Encourage your community to do the same. Now, here's what you'll never find in any of those world's philosophies. In chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. You will never find fullness anywhere else. Never. That word fullness, some translations use the word complete. It means to make full, to fill up, to cause to abound, to furnish or supply liberally, to fill to the top so that nothing shall be wanting, carry through to the end, equivalent to food, to diffuse throughout one's soul. This is my favorite. Pervaded with the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then we come full circle, rooted as are in Christ. You will never get that from fine-sounding arguments or deceptive philosophy. God is the head over every power and authority, and only he fills. Only he fills. Now, I am a perpetual bow tire. I like pretty packages, literally and figuratively. Literally, and when I was in college, I worked at a party rental and supply store, wrapped a lot. And then I volunteered at the mall with my college group wrapping presents, so I learned a lot about wrapping. Figuratively, I don't have to have it all figured out, but I would like it all wrapped up, all tied up. Anyone else? Yeah. Now, this works in children's ministry. It works in teaching elementary, and it works when raising toddlers, but not so much these days. Life can feel like a lot of loose ends hanging with no bow, right? Anyone else? Yeah. Life is complicated. And it can cause you to wonder if there's, if it really matters in all of the living. If there's any significance beyond our faithfulness to God. Like, do we buy the house? Do we build? Do we take the vacation? Do we save the money? Do I let my teenager do this or that? Life can make you wonder if the little things matter, right? But then, but then you get a glimpse of something divine in the ordinary. Something that just changes everything that became so important, so crucial. But the decision was so random, and you just realized to your core, it's all crucial. It all matters. See, I've learned... I am not in control of anything, but my thousands upon thousands of decisions are my way of inviting him in, inviting him to make them matter. See, he is the one. He's the one that's in control of the moon and the sun, the seasons and the weather. He's into the details. He makes it all matter. You can search for happy endings. You can search in every philosophy that the world throws at you, but all you will ever find 
is hollow nothingness. Only Jesus offers fullness. Only Jesus. He, he's the whole package. He is the whole package and he's the bow on top. See, we'll never be able to tie all of our life up in a pretty bow. We'll never be able to explain it or understand it all perfectly. But we can be perfectly tied up in him, hemmed in on every side. See, he's the only bow that we're promised. But the good news is he's the only one we need, the only one we ever need. No other philosophy can give you that. Nothing in life can give you that. The supernatural beauty is that this messy world doesn't negate his perfection. Because he's pretty at home in the manger and the throne room. He's the shepherd that smells like his sheep. And only he does this. I'm going to close today by reading you verses 11 through 15. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Saying he's were marked as his. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in back, baptism, in which we were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. Isn't that beautiful? And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He canceled your charge, nailed it to the cross, and disarmed the powers and authorities of this world, and he didn't stop there. He used the cross, the worst that the world could do, the worst that it could dole out, to triumph over them. He tied a scarlet thread around your life and hemmed you in in his perfection. Only Jesus can do that. Only a good God can do that. What has disappointed you in this life? Has me too. What hasn't gone the way that you wished it would? I'm there too. But here is the beautiful hope of all hope. Our God has nailed it to the cross, disarmed it, turned the ugliness of it into a triumph and is handing it back to us in a package that produces life in which nothing in this world can compare. Take every fear, every confusion, every disappointment, give it to him and he will turn it into something supernatural. Only he can do that. More God we do that today, we bring you ourselves. Put ourselves on the altar and we say, here we are. Do what you need to do, Father God. Do what you need to do to enlarge. Do what you need to do to change. And Lord God, we trust you. We trust you to turn it into something beautiful. In Jesus' name.